This Rhythm and News podcast is brought to you by the Port of Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Conversations of whether or not to take the COVID-19 vaccine when it's available is a major point of discussion among many in the African-American community. And with me today to talk about this, you are Dr. John Vassell and Dr. Bessie Young. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, Dr. Vassell, uh, let's start with you, uh, because there are many African-Americans who are skeptical when it comes to taking any of the COVID-19 vaccines because of some of the things historically that have been inflicted on African-Americans when it comes to medicines, studies, et cetera. Um, are they right with their apprehension as it relates to COVID-19 vaccine, or is this a much different situation than some of the historical incidents that some may reference when they uh, refuse to even consider taking one of the vaccines? Actually, both. You know, we should keep in mind that it's not just African-Americans who are concerned about this vaccine. Uh, many are, and uh, one of the reasons for that is a certain amount of confusion that has been caused by the politicization of this. So uh, there's been back and forth different uh, different stories told about this. So in terms of their apprehension, uh, I can't blame people for being apprehensive, and it's not just our community. With regard to the second question, is this different from the Tuskegee study and others, and the answer to that is yes, it's very different. Uh, this is a uh, proven uh, preventative measure, and it's being distributed to the entire population, not a specific segment of the population. It's not something that's just being given to the black population, so it is quite different. Right. And let's talk a little bit about the technology or innovation that was utilized in developing the COVID-19 vaccines, because I understand that these vaccines were developed much differently than vaccines or other uh, for other diseases or viruses. Uh, that's correct. This is a new technology, and um, all technologies were new at one time. However, this technology was not developed specifically in response to the COVID vaccine, uh, sorry, the COVID uh, disease, the coronavirus. Technology has been in development for a number of years, and it just so happens that because of the COVID uh, virus, the coronavirus, they were able to accelerate this technology and, and get it actually into production in a very rapid fashion. And it's actually a better technology than uh, what we use for previous vaccines. For instance, the influenza vaccine is, is uh, grown in eggs. It's a attenuated or weakened form of the influenza vaccine, whereas this is completely 
generated in the laboratory, and it doesn't have all the extra byproducts that uh, previous uh, cruder vaccines have. So it's actually a cleaner, so to speak, uh, vaccination that doesn't have a lot of uh, materials in it. In fact, the Pfizer vaccine only has 10 uh, ingredients in it and no no preservatives. And people who are concerned about vaccines have often said that it's the preservative, not the vaccine, that they're concerned about that has caused problems in the past. Uh, And how does this vaccine in particular work in the body? The way this vaccine works is it has a what's called messenger RNA. There's a couple of different kinds of RNA. One is the DNA, and DNA is kind of like the blueprint uh, for for the body. It's the genes that show the body how uh, where things go, basically, what things should look like, where they should go, if you think of a blueprint. The messenger RNA is kind of like the subcontractor that looks at the blueprint and it takes that image and actually builds with it. So what you're, we're getting with this vaccine is that the, the, the messenger RNA is sort of the subcontractor that goes into the body cells. Uh, it has, you know, it's the blueprint for what's called the spike protein, which is the part of the protein that allows the virus to invade your body. And it causes your cells to actually make spike protein. And when your body makes the spike protein, it realizes that that's not uh, a normal part of of its existence, and therefore it calls out the army of the immune system to attack it. The difference between this and the older vaccine is the older vaccine, uh, a a weakened form of the virus, does exactly the same thing, except for the weakened form of the virus makes the entire virus particle. It makes, and it's, RNA, DNA, all the proteins, all the parts of that virus, and your body attacks it. So this is more like a a sniper uh, that's sniping at just the part of the virus that attacks you, that invades your body, versus sort of a, a big bomb that blows up the whole virus. So it's actually a more more limited immune response in that sense. So not only is the virus more, uh, the vaccine more uh, limited and more specific, but your immune response is also more limited and more specific. Uh, Dr. Young, let's uh, bring you into the conversation as well. Um, You are a kidney specialist, and the likelihood of people having severe complications from this virus is increased when it comes to people who have pre-existing conditions. And the last number that I recall, I believe, is uh, that relates to um, kidney diseases, that one in seven people uh, have kidney disease and may not even know it. Now, I know this is not the only pre-existing condition that disproportionately affects um, African Americans, but certainly how concerned uh, and cautious should we be as, in general, but specifically as African Americans, as it relates to this virus, um, especially with people who may have pre-existing conditions who don't, who are not aware of them? Mm-hmm. So that's a great question. Um, and people with pre- pre-existing conditions actually should get the vaccine. And, um, you know, I work at the VA, so we're actually targeting people who have all of those pre-existing conditions like diabetes and kidney disease. And so it's safe in, in people who have these pre-existing conditions 
and they should be vaccinated, um, and it will help protect them from getting the disease. Um, as Dr. Vassell said, this is this is a new technology, but this technology is very, very specific for uh, the coronavirus. And in the studies that they've done, it's been you know, 95% effective uh, in keeping people safe from getting the, back, the disease. So, um, I, you know, people who have diabetes, people who have kidney disease or hypertension, uh, they should not be afraid to, to get this vaccine. Right. And uh, let's talk a little bit about what the uh, uh, vaccine is intended to do. You know, if, if a person takes the vaccine, does that give them a green light to go about their business as usual? Or should they still take precautions like wearing a mask and social distancing? Yeah, so the vaccine is great and, and will eventually protect people, but people definitely need to be careful. So, and, and, you know, the two vaccines that are coming out, the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine that, is, that has just been released, require the two shots in order for people to be fully covered. Um, so they, they need to get those two shots. The Pfizer vaccine, it's uh, 21 days apart. The Moderna vaccine, it's um, I'm 21 days for the Pfizer vaccine and 28 days for the Moderna vaccine. And it's after that second shot that people actually start to get um, antibodies. And, and those antibodies start to be produced by, by, you know, our own bodies relatively quickly, but people need to get that second shot. And they should still continue to, you know, wash their hands, wear a mask, distance, um, to protect themselves and, and the, the ones around them. Right. And, uh, Dr. Young, you know, there appears to be some um, new, I guess, developing um, information as it relates to the vaccine and the doses. You know, you just talked about people are supposed to get two doses in certain time frames, but it appears that uh, there is a shortfall in some of the vaccinations uh, units that have been delivered to various states, including here in Washington, as I understand and some health officials are now looking to make modifications to those uh, recommendations. And based on what you know, is that something that should be okay if people just getting one dose or having this, to lengthen those things out, or do we not have enough information about that? And I think you just talked about what the current recommendation is, is the two doses. Is that correct? Right. The, the current recommendations are two doses. The studies that were done to really prove how well these vaccines work were with the two doses. Um, you know, Dr. Fauci, who's like the world's expert here in the United States, he still recommends that we get the two doses. There will be other vaccines where one dose is actually okay, but for these two vaccines, people should be getting the two doses. Um, and they should be trying to get it within that those different time frames, you know, 21 days and 28 days. Uh, and, uh, you know, people have concerns about uh, about the virus. Some people may not have concern, as much concern about the virus, depending on their state of mind as it relates um, to COVID and coronavirus. Um, I think a lot of people are in, you know, are, I shouldn't say a lot, but more than enough people are still in denial about this. You know, you guys as doctors are in the trenches with this on a, on a, on a daily basis. You know, can you kind of talk about some of the steps that you guys take personally to protect yourselves and your families and why you feel those are important? John, do you want to go yeah. ahead? And, yeah, yeah, I'll start. Well, one of the steps I've taken is, <laughs> is the Moderna vaccine. Uh, that's the one I've gotten. Uh, and I'll say a little bit about the, my experience with it. It is, uh, at least for me, and again, this is only my personal experience, it was much less of a problem than the, than the influenza vaccine. 
I always get my influenza vaccine because I've had influenza. And once you've had influenza, let me tell you, you don't want it again. And many people have not actually experienced influenza. They've had a cold or a bad cold and call it influenza, but influenza is really quite different. And uh, so I get an influenza vaccination every year. Uh, this vaccine, the, the Moderna vaccine, didn't hurt as much. And it really doesn't hurt very much. You know, you feel a little bit of thing, a little bit of a uh, burning as it goes in. And that was really basically it. I had less soreness of uh, my arm. Sometimes I had a little bit of soreness with the influenza vaccine. I had very little of that. I would say two, three, four hours after the shot, I couldn't even tell that I had had it. Um, so that's just my personal experience. So in terms of what do I do, that's the first thing I did, get the shot. Second thing is always wearing a mask, uh, certainly when I'm in public. And even, you know, I got my daughters in town, but, you know, they're young adults and they, they live when they're on apartment, they have their own friends. So even when they come over, I always wear a mask, even around my daughters. It's tough. But, you know, that's what you have to do and wash my hands frequently and social distance. And I have not been to the, to the office in, since March. You know, I've been working out of my home. I go out from time to time, but I try to stay as uh, secluded as possible to stay away from strangers. So those are the things that I'm doing to protect myself and my family. Uh. And I... I, I do the same. So I got the Pfizer vaccine. I've got, just had the first dose, and I'll get the second dose next week. Um, and I, too, I just had a little bit of muscle pain, not, not as much as other shots. Um, you can get muscle pain and redness and um, maybe a little bit of headache or some um, muscle, muscle aches. But I, I, too, I didn't have very many symptoms at all. And, um, and I think that that's just really important. But I'm still not protected, so I, I am still, you know, wearing a mask. I wash my hands. I keep distance. At least I try to keep six feet away. I am just very careful when I go somewhere. So I, I am going into work and I do still see patients. And so I'm just very careful about that process. I'm wearing a mask. I'm wearing eye protection when I see patients. Um, and at the VA, we have everybody, you know, all the patients are screened before they come into the hospital and the clinic area and they have to wear a mask when they come in. Um, and so that. All of those things are very important. I think when I do come home from work, I am just very careful to wash my hands immediately. I try not to touch, you know, the doorknobs. I try to, to make sure that I keep everything clean. I, I actually, when this first started, was washing all of my clothes, so probably overkill, but I just really try to be very careful. And, um, you know, we have not gone out to dinner. Um, I'm doing all the cooking uh, because I, I and sometimes we order food, but just not being in spaces with other people. Mm. And, you know, we hear a lot about the capacity of the hospitals and they're in, at, on the brink in a lot of areas. I don't know how much it is here in the state of Washington right now, but uh, just kind of being overrun. Um, can you kind of talk about what that looks like in the hospitals? Uh, because I think the average person, unless they've been to the hospital, which most of us have not um, as it relates to this virus here um, in, the, in the recent past, um, don't have a clue of what that looks like and the type of, of, of burden and pressure that puts on uh, medical providers, the, the doctors, the nurses, um, the rest of the staff, et cetera. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit and why it's so important for uh, people to take the precautions, to wear masks um, and things of that nature in order to kind of 
help bring down that, that surge that's affecting the, the hospitals and the ICUs. Sure, I can start, or John, if you want to start. I'll start briefly, and then I'll let you take it away because okay. this is more your expertise. But the first thing I would say, Chris, is that uh, people need to know that within the hospital, uh, all precautions are being taken to prevent transmission within the hospital. So, so the nurses, the doctors, uh, the techs who are you, you're seeing are wearing the, the personal protective equipment, or PPE, as you've heard it called. Uh, that's important to know because uh, we have found, at least it appears from the numbers, that there are people who are avoiding going to the hospital who need to go to the hospital. People having heart attacks, people having strokes, they're afraid to go to the hospital because they think they might get the virus there. It's important to know that you need to go to the hospital if you have having symptoms of a, a stroke, symptoms of a heart attack, symptoms of a serious illness. Uh, they really need to, to go to the emergency department and they will get treatment and uh, PPE, uh, appropriate measures being taken to prevent them from getting sick at the hospital. Uh, the second thing is that the reason for uh, for uh, doing all these things to protect yourself from the virus is not to protect the hospital, it's to protect yourself. So uh, people shouldn't be worried about, well, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to make things worse at the hospital. No, you need to protect yourself and make sure you don't have to go to the hospital for your benefit and for your family's benefit. Okay, right. Dr. Young. Right, I com- completely agree. And, you know, I think um, we, we were the first state to have a case of COVID-19 in one of our nursing homes um, which really did, I think, overrun the, the system a little bit because we weren't prepared. We weren't sure exactly what it was. But once we knew what it was, um, and then uh, Jay Inslee, Governor Inslee, sort of put in those you know, precautions that he shut things down, um, we didn't have as many cases as we could have. And so we still have those precautions in place that things are not completely open. So I think our we, we are getting cases. We do have cases of COVID-19. Um, the cases in our hospitals um, are disproportionately, um, you know, African-American, Native American, Latinos are disproportionately affected by the disease that are, and are the people who are in the hospital, as, as well as whites. But, um, you know, more it's affecting um, our populations and our communities more. I'd say that in the, the hospitals, they're, they're not overrun, but, you know, any case of COVID means that um, whoever goes in that room has to mask up, which means they have to... The nurses, the techs, um, you know, if, if somebody's on a breathing machine, all the people, the doctors that go into that room have to mask up, which means they have to have those N95 masks on. They have to, to have that personal protective gear on the PPE. They have to be gowned up, and, and that all has to be in place. They go in the room. They take care of the patient. Um, they come out of the room. They get rid of all that stuff, um, and then they go to see another papers, patient. So. Um, anytime someone has COVID-19 in the hospital, it's a very intense for all the medical staff to, to take care of someone like that. Um, and, you know, the, the hospital workers are doing it. And I think um, it's been it's been a, a long time, you know, for this um, pandemic. And um, people are, um, they're, they're doing their jobs. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And, um, you know, not taking risk, but really just trying to take care of uh, people in the, in the community. So, um, but the best um, prevention is, you know, not getting the disease at all. And I think we are just really trying to get this vaccine rolled out to the community because that's going to be the best protection. 
Right. And let's talk uh, briefly, if we can, about children, because I think people still have in their mind that children either cannot catch the virus or the likelihood of them getting uh, the virus is very slim. You know, what should parents take into consideration when it comes to their kids um, and uh, the, um, the virus, especially when they're talking about returning um, kids to actual school buildings? Mm-hmm. I'll try that one. And it's, okay. that's a difficult, it's a difficult question. Uh, you know, fortunately for me, anyway, my kids are old enough. That they're not young adults. But if, I think about that from when my kids were, were young and what a very tough decision this is. What we know is that uh, children, as a rule, as a group, tend not to be as severely affected by this virus. Um, however, some kids uh, have gotten very ill. Uh, they have some have died, and some have gotten uh, a, a kind of a post-inflammatory syndrome where their blood vessels seem to, for some reason, be affected, and the, and that's that's pretty serious. So it's not as if this is benign completely for all kids. Uh, the other thing about it is that we do know is that kids tend to youngsters, young uh, young children particularly, tend to have a lot more virus in their system, even if they're not sick. Uh, so they contract the virus, the virus replicates and grows in their body, and they have a very high titers of the virus, and so they can spread it very easily to grandparents and older people, even though they themselves don't appear to be very ill. So those are the things that we actually know. We know that, that they can become infected, that they can have very high titers of the virus, and they can spread it uh, relatively easy, easily. And, of course, uh, everybody's heard that there's this new strain that they first identified in England, but that doesn't mean it came from England. Uh, but now we're seeing it in uh, California and New York and elsewhere in the United States. Uh, if it spreads even more easily than this virus. So that's, uh, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Being so, as a result, being uh, taking the precautions around kids is particularly important for uh, adults. Now, what about kids going to school and those kinds of things? Uh, many of the schools are trying to to have school remotely. That's that's not a very good uh, uh, psychological and social development modality for kids. You know, part of a lot of school, particularly the younger grades of school, has to do with socializing kids and having them learn how to behave around other kids and around other people, and you really can't do that from home. Some of the book learning stuff you can do by computer, but the problem with that, too, is not everybody has uh, wireless services, broadband, you know, uh, and facility with the technology that you need for that. So it's a very tough decision, and I think you sort of have to Make, make your own decision. Kids have to have this learning. If you are, are very uncomfortable with what your school is doing, and you almost have to go down there and look and see and see if they appear to be taking the appropriate precautions. If you're comfortable with the precautions they're taking, uh, then in many cases it's probably going to be okay to let your kids go to school. But if you're not comfortable, then you may have to look at remote learning for your child. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I'll just point. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that 
um, you know, and, and having been on like Zoom meetings for 10 hours a day, that's just really tough. It's tough for me. It's tough for kids. So if your kids are at home, they, they need to have physical activity. They need to have some things that are fun because uh, it's just hard to look in a computer for, you know, five hours or six hours straight. So that's really tough on kids, too. Right. Uh, Dr. Vassal, Dr. Young, the two of you, along with four other prominent local African-American doctors, submitted an op-ed in this week's Seattle Medium newspaper, which is also online at seattlemedium.com. And I want to thank you guys for um, publishing that um, to tell our community why they should take this COVID vaccine. Um, uh, as we end this conversation, you know, why did you guys feel compelled to draft and publish this op-ed piece um, directly to our community? Well, as you started the segment, Chris, uh, we know that there's a lot of hesitancy within the black community, although, you know, even above and beyond the hesitancy in the larger community. And uh, black folks, as Dr. Young indicated, are being uh, heavily impacted, more so than the larger community, by this disease. Uh, black people tend to be in, we're not more susceptible, but we tend to be in uh, situations, in social situations, job situations, where we come into contact with more uh, infected strangers. And as a result, we are more likely to contract the disease and more likely to, uh, to have pre-existing conditions because of poor health care in the past. Uh, that makes uh, black folks more likely to fall ill and to die. And for those of us who love our community, we don't want to see that. Uh, for some of us, it's a bit personal. You know, when my sister uh, contracted the virus and spent four days in the hospital, fortunately she recovered. I have a great aunt who's 98 years old who contracted the virus. So it, this is real. A lot of people say, well, you know, it's fake. Uh, it is not fake. It is real. And so many people have gotten the virus now that I think within a very short time, everyone will know someone uh, who has had the virus. So that is our concern. We don't want to see our community fall ill and die. We just can't afford to lose uh, any more people than we're losing now. Right. And I, I agree 100%. We have, you know, this virus has wiped out a lot of the um, older and younger people in our community. Um, it's going to take a long time for us to get herd immunity where we have enough, you know, people who've actually had the disease where they can't get the disease again. So the vaccine is really one of the only ways that we are going to be able to protect ourselves. So if, if you know, to protect ourselves, our families, our communities, um, we need to, to take the vaccine um, and just to make sure that we're protected because this vaccine um, doesn't discriminate. It just, it, it affects people and, and, um, you know, like Dr. Baffle said, um, everyone probably will know someone who's had the vaccine or has died from the vaccine. Well, I want to thank the both of you for joining us on today's show and speaking directly to our community this morning, also um, with the op-ed piece, but also more importantly, um, just for the work that you guys do, um, even outside the walls of the hospital that you do, um, just to support our community and to empower our community and to educate our community as well. Thank yeah, you thank you, Chris, us. and thank you for the work you do in getting yeah. this word out for the community. We appreciate yeah. it. We appreciate thank you. you. Thank you very much. You, you guys have a great weekend.